Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Happy you're here. Happy you're ready to study the Bible with us today. And uh, we're looking forward to answering as many of your questions as we can on Know Your Bible. If you're a first-time viewer or new viewer, you may not know exactly how this operates. Our purpose on Know Your Bible is to help you know your Bible and uh, maybe stir some interest in you doing some Bible study on your own. And the way that we do that on this program is a little different than any other religious TV program because we let you tell us what to talk about. You have a question about the Bible, you have a question about life, you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, there's a phone number and a website you can use anytime you want, they're on the screen there. Use those and say, tell me about this, explain this to me, where is this, and we'll try to find you an answer to that. So that's what we do here, and uh, hope that it helps you know your Bible a little bit better. I answer some of the questions. Mr. Toby Levering answers the hard ones. I give him all the hard ones. So <laughs> Not sure about that. Well, welcome back, Toby. <laughs> Good morning. Glad you're here and ready to go. And we've got plenty saved up and try to get as many as we can today. But we always let you have one first out there in the audience. And Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, what was his trade? No, not in the Old Testament. This was the New Testament, Joseph. I forgot what question I put up there. <laughs> Father of Jesus, what was his trade? Uh, man, I can't even get the trivia question right. So we're going to have a hard day here. But we'll <laughs> see if we can get straightened out. even up. has the answer. Yeah, so. I know the answer. <laughs> Father of Jesus in the New Testament, what was his trade? Uh, we'll give you an answer to that at the end of the program. Hopefully we get that far. All right, Toby, a little movie review now, here. Well, sure about movie reviews, but uh, your person wants to know, does God afflict people with the wounds of Christ, as in the movie Stigmata? Uh, well, the question is, does God? And my answer is no, I don't think so. Um, that doesn't mean... You know, if the question was, can God, I mean, God can do anything. Uh, but as far as um, visual evidence that I've seen in my life uh, that's uh, absolutely, uh, totally without question and uh, very uh, uh, real and confirmed and verifiable, uh, I haven't ever heard of such a case. Um, <clears throat> stigmata is a condition where marks corresponding to the marks on Jesus' body in his hands and in his feet uh, by the crucifixion process supposedly appear on the bodies of other believers and that they, that's a, a sign of, of 
having God's favor impressed upon them. Uh, of course, that's what the, the movie's about, and some claim that St. Francis of Assisi was the first to, to have this uh, phenomena uh, and that others have experienced it. But just speaking from my personal experience and, I, and anything I've read or seen, I have not visualized that. So it's not to say that God can't. I just don't think it happened. Uh, certainly in the Bible, there's no mention of anything like that happening um, at any uh, time in the New Testament uh, history. So uh, that's the simple answer, I think, is no. But could God, if he wanted to? I suppose he could. Um, but uh, it's not something we see in the pages of Scripture. Good answer. Even if he's done it two or three times in the history of the world, it's probably not something we need to get too excited about. So, yeah. <laughs> But don't Pardon? think it yeah. happened. All right. Uh, I got another impossible one here. Uh, where is your soul in your body? Well, it, I say it's impossible. Actually, I can answer it very quickly. Is I don't know. Uh, the Bible doesn't say. Nobody knows. Uh, what we do know is in Genesis 2-7. Here's the way God himself explained it. Genesis 2-7 uh, said, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being or a living soul. Alright, so we know that there's a physical body that's made out of dirt originally. We know how it's formed today and how it's created in the womb and all that. And then there is a breath of life that makes that body a living soul. That breath of life is the soul, the spirit. It's called different things in the Bible. Okay. Now our viewer wants to know, well, where is that? Well, the Bible just doesn't say. And science hasn't helped us. Scientists have worried about this and tried to isolate it. And uh, they do things like measure the weight of a body before a person dies. And then when he dies, see if the weight changes to see if the spirit weighed anything and, and all that. Uh, they hadn't figured out anything. So we don't know. I think it's probably safest to think of it this way, that the soul, since it makes us alive, it makes us a living being, is probably more infused in everything in our body than it is in a specific location. Uh, we don't know. We, we can't explain how spiritual things work. So can't answer the question. We don't know exactly where the soul is. I think of it as just infusing life into the whole body. We know we can take parts of the body out and not kill the soul. So uh, other than that, we don't know. God God handles it just fine. <laughs> I was really hoping for a chart on that one, Steve. <laughs> it's, it's most closely associated with the brain, but, you know, the brain can... Yeah. Well, anyhow, <laughs> we're not we're not going to get <laughs> scientific here. All right, let me get one that's a little bit we can get a little bit more Let's precise a, on. Yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> Which John wrote Revelation? Oh, good, good question here that we can point exactly to the text. Of course, there was uh, John is common name then and now. Uh, John the Baptist and John the Apostle are two different people with the same name. But it was John the Apostle that wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the opening to the book. says simply this, The revelation 
from Jesus Christ, which God gave, gave him to show his servant what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now you say, well, how do you know that wasn't John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist died before Jesus did. There's a story of how he was beheaded and all of that. So it was clearly John the Apostle, um, and that's confirmed not only by the Bible itself, but by early church tradition and historical accounts. So uh, John the Apostle was the author of the book of Revelation. No confusion on that. <laughs> we got one right there. <laughs> nice to have those clear ones yeah, once in a we while. We get, get some every once in a while. Uh, the Bible is a fun thing to study. There are some questions like that that we can answer definitively, and there's a lot of things that God just didn't choose to tell us. He told us what we needed to know, but He didn't tell us everything. Uh, but still, there's more in the Bible than we can ever possibly get covered on this program, or if you study all your life, you'll never get it all covered. But it's still a good thing to study because it's God's will. And we've got some free materials that we'll send you if you'd like to try to become a regular Bible student. And I know many of our viewers already are, but uh, if you're not and you're looking for a way to get started, here's a good introductory course that uh, we'll send to you. There's eight lessons in it, and it covers a number of different topics in the, in the Bible. Uh, when you're done, you'll know a lot more about the Bible. Uh, we know that because we've had thousands of people go through it and um, most of them let us know that, hey, I like that. I learned a lot about the Bible. Glad you provided that for me, and we'll provide it for you. Absolutely free of charge. We pay the postage. We don't bother you in any way. Uh, we just want you to study the Bible, and we found some good ways to do it. So if you'd like some Know Your Bible study tools, uh, call that phone number, log on to that website, say, give me that free course. We'll get it started for you, and we think you'll enjoy it. All right, um, viewer wants to know about getting to heaven. If you've never been baptized, does that mean you won't go to heaven? Well, people ask us all the time, rule on this and give us a definitive answer on salvation and this and that. We're not in the judgment business. We never claim to be in the judgment business. Uh, we don't draw black and white lines and say, okay, if you never did this or said this or thought this, uh, you're not going to heaven. And as long as you do this or say this or think this, you're going to heaven. That's not our business. God will get the right people to heaven. We're going to trust him to handle that perfectly. Uh, what we do do is teach what the Bible says. And let's just think about this question. Let's kind of work backwards on it. Uh, let's ask who's going to heaven. Well, the Bible's very clear about that. Jesus is coming back to take his people to heaven. Those who have been redeemed, those who have been saved by his blood, those who have had their sins forgiven, those who are in him, in Christ. He's going to take his body to heaven, his church to heaven. Nobody would argue with that. That's exactly what the Bible says. All right, let's take a step further. How do you get in Christ? How do you get your sins forgiven? Well, here's where man starts to make up a number of different answers. But the Bible's pretty clear about it. The Bible says you get into Christ when you're baptized. You are baptized into Christ, Paul said in Romans chapter 6. All of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, he says. 
That's how you get in Christ. So we teach that. Now, some people say, yeah, but if you don't, are you going to heaven? God handles who's going to heaven. We just teach what the Bible says, and it says that very clearly. Uh, a, a great story is the story of Paul, of Saul, actually, and his conversion to Christ. And if you read that story, you find something very interesting. He did all sorts of things that man would say, well, that'll get him to heaven. You remember he saw Jesus personally? He confessed Jesus as Lord. He called him Lord. Uh, he fasted and prayed for three days. Uh, he was healed, miraculously healed of his blindness. Uh, he repented. He was sorry for what he had done to Christ. All those things that happened. And after all that, when the preacher Ananias came to see him, let's just read what the preacher told him in Acts chapter 22. Acts 22 and verse 16, the preacher said, Now, after all of that, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away calling on his name. Okay, after all those good things that had happened to Saul, and today we a lot of people would say, well, that saved him. He's going to heaven. After all that, he still had a sin problem. And the way his sins were washed away was to be baptized. So, viewer wants to know, tell me if you don't be baptized, what will happen? God will take care of that. All we do is tell you what the Bible says. Those going to heaven are in Christ. You get into Christ by being baptized. That's when your sins are forgiven. It's not what saves you. The blood of Christ saves you. But it's when the Bible says we are saved. So it's what the Bible says, and we'll let God handle the judgment business. All right, Toby. Kind of a, a two-part question here yeah. about prayer. A viewer asks, uh, is it okay to pray in silence, and when should you pray out loud? All right, well, the answer to the first question is certainly it's okay to pray in silence. In fact, in my opinion, most, uh, the majority of prayer is probably done silently. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray continually. Uh, how I think of that is it's an ongoing conversation with the Lord, uh, and it should be done sincerely and reverently. But as things come to mind, certainly anxieties, people you're worried about, health situations, uh, trouble, family, career, uh, uh, things, uh, how to grow spiritually, how to understand the Bible. Lots of ways that we can talk to God silently from within our mind where we don't have to verbalize it. Verbalizing it is done for the benefit of a public prayer. And certainly public prayer is necessary at times in the worship service, maybe at a gathering of Christians. But the reason that it's verbalized is so that others can hear it and uh, agree and assent in their mind. So there are examples of both silent prayer and public prayer in the Bible, um, but praying in silence is probably the way it's done most often. Praying in public is uh, the way it is done when we co gather collectively, and both are fine and necessary, but both should be done sincerely, sincerely and reverently and from the heart. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 together. Jesus talked about prayer. He said, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And Jesus addressed 
uh, private prayer there and of course public prayer is certainly uh, something that he did and that the apostles did as well. So both are fine and uh, when you pray out loud, when you pray publicly, put some thought into it. Make sure you're leading appropriately, but uh, mm-hmm. that's all the Bible really has to say. Okay. Yeah, I think it's good to point out that what Jesus is saying there is there's a danger to praying out loud. Uh, you tempted to do it just to impress people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, he said, that's not what prayer is for. It's between you and God, so go in your closet. But mm-hmm. still, we have to do some public prayer. Sure. But there's a warning there to be yeah. careful about yeah. it. All right, viewers, got an interesting one here. If a, is a man walking with God, if he drinks, curses, and commits adultery? Uh, my first thought is, is this a trick question? You know, is somebody trying to confuse me. <laughs> but thinking through it, I imagine what's happening is somebody that somebody at least thinks is doing all these things, uh, claims that he's a Christian, claims that he's a Christ follower, claims that he's walking with God or something like that. And the viewer says, it sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> Could he really be? Well, uh, let me. T- uh, when we hear things secondhand like this, we always take it with a little grain of salt. So, first of all, let me say this: nobody's perfect. Uh, there is no Christian walking the earth who is claims to be walking with God who is living a perfect life. So, uh, not being morally perfect doesn't mean you're not following God. But what this person has described is kind of open rebellious sin. Uh, repentance does produce fruits that look like repentance. Uh, John the Baptist said that first. He said, you know, when the Pharisees said they were going to repent, he said, well, let me see some fruits. <laughs> let me see if you really repented. So if this person is really a Christ follower, uh, his life ought to be starting to change. Now, uh, the people in Corinth were, they did all those things that this viewer listed and worse. And Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were saved. You don't do those things anymore. So their life started to change, may have changed very quickly, may have changed over time a little bit. Uh, but that's what it means to follow God, to walk with God. It means we become more and more like him. So I don't know where this person is in his Christian walk that our viewers described. Uh, Certainly if he's been a Christian very long, he shouldn't be openly uh, drinking, cursing, and committing adultery. Uh, That's not good. Uh, That's not representing Christ very well. And that's really what it comes down to. It's not moral perfection that saves us. It's the blood of Christ forgives our sins. But we still have a responsibility to represent Christ right. Uh, Let's look at a verse that says that very clearly, and maybe that'll help our viewers' thoughts on this. Ephesians 4.1, Paul said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, he says, if you're a Christian, I don't have a list of sins that you can and can't do and all that. What it boils down to is you ought to live a worthy life. You're representing Christ. He's saved you. He's done all this for you. So as a Christian, live a life that's worthy of what you've been called to be. So uh, that's how I'd approach this fellow that 
our hypothetical question is about. Uh, he's not representing Christ very well if he is a Christ follower. And like I said, it sounds like a trick question. It sounds like no, nobody that does all that openly, unrepentantly could possibly really be following God. But we'll allow some room for growth there and uh, say, no, we ought to be making some progress if we're following Christ. Let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. The, this program is produced by the Churches of Christ. Uh, Northside Church of Christ in Wichita is its home church. and We like to mention uh, that every week just a little bit in case you live in a neighborhood where there is a Church of Christ. You might want to visit them sometime. Uh, today we're going to mention the home church, Northside, right here in Wichita, Kansas, up on North Meridian on the way to Valley Center. If you up there and just north of K96, you can get off and find us very easily, and we'd certainly welcome a visit from you. We get lots of viewers that drop in and uh, get a chance to meet them, and we appreciate that. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, Northside's a great place, great bunch of Christians, a lot of activities, a lot of things going on. Uh, we'd be happy to have you part of the family there, but most of our viewers are in other states and other areas, so uh, there's Church of Christ near you that helps provide this program for you, and if you know somebody from a Church of Christ, you might tell them, hey, I enjoy that program that uh, you guys put on. So uh, give them some thanks, and if you're looking for a church home, come visit a Church of Christ sometime. You'd find a group of people that think and study the Bible like we do here on this program, and uh, you'd be warmly welcome. So give us a visit sometime. All right, Toby, a little uh, diet question yep. here, looks like. Break out the BMI <laughs> charts here. A uh, viewer wants to know, is obesity a sin? Well, uh, my answer to that is, no, it's not a sin, uh, but it is, however, a symptom, and it could be a symptom of some sin problems. Uh, obesity uh, has to do with uh, a number of factors, and sometimes they are uh, health factors that cannot be controlled, Gen genetics, thyroid, all sorts of stuff that can make you overweight. Generally speaking, it has, I think more often has to do with behaviors, um, and if you're overweight, you're either eating too much or not exercising enough. Uh, perhaps you worry too much, and a means of coping with your worry is instead of praying, instead of giving it to the Lord, instead of uh, uh, doing the things properly that you should do with worry, you, you, you numb yourself with eating and just mindlessly eat a whole bag of chips or a whole pizza or something like that, and, and that will lead to weight gain. Uh, maybe you have a, a self-control problem, and you have, you're not letting the Holy Spirit uh, uh, control the, the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh, and you're giving in, letting your, your stomach be your master. Okay, well, that's a, that's a symptom of a sin problem. So I, I can't, uh, and the Bible doesn't mention obesity or being overweight, uh, and I think it's for this reason. There's different causes of that. Uh, if you have a, a cause that's a sin problem, uh, then, you know, you need to deal with the root of the cause, and you'll, you'll find the obesity problem will, will worry, will uh, uh, work itself out. Um, I've heard one time... Uh, people that were um, getting some um, diet training, they said it's not always about what you eat. Sometimes it's about what's eating you. And I thought that was a good way to think about it. Uh, so I would, I'm, I'm pushing to advocate to think about the heart of the issue, the heart of the matter, why it is if you're obese, 
uh, why it is that you're that way, and then as a response to that, how you can rectify it. You know, if you're not exercising enough, go for a walk around the block. It's a good start. If you're eating too much junk food, uh, have some fruit and a salad. Those are things we can do. Again, the Bible doesn't have you know a height weight chart. Thankfully, uh, doesn't have BMI numbers and all of that. We're not have to meet a certain criteria as we go through the gate for height and weight ratio. That's not what it's about. But uh, the obesity is a manifestation of things going on in your life and in your heart that you're probably uh, not dealing with. So being healthy is, is important. It's a you know body, body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. As we're taught in 1 Corinthians, we should take care of the body that we've been given. We should be good stewards of it. And we're only, we only get one, and it has to last our whole lives. So we got to take care of it and eat right and exercise. Those are good things to do. Make sure you get plenty of rest. Those are fine things to do, but the Bible doesn't have a whole list of rules. It speaks to the heart of the matter. So uh, you can uh, be in good health, but I also know people that obsess on, go to the other extreme, and they almost get into vanity and obsess over their bodies, and uh, that's not good either. So got to be careful whichever way we go. Uh, let's read a verse where Paul wrote to Timothy about uh, physical training, 1 Timothy 4, 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I hope that helps you. All right. Appreciate you pointing out that it's the extremes that yep. get us in trouble. Sure. The body's temple of the Holy Spirit. We ought to take care of it. One extreme is don't take care of it at all yep. and feed it Pringles all day and <laughs> make it weigh 600 pounds yeah. and the other extreme is spend 20 hours a day at the gym uh, yep. fine tuning it and making it a, a perfect <laughs> specimen and all that both are too yep. far both one, are unhealthy uh, too one way yep. uh, focus a little more on the spiritual side of life and things will get better probably all right let's get one more question in about tithing and the viewer <laughs> says when you tithe and give to God, how does God get it? Well, uh, interesting question. We'll answer it. Uh, God doesn't get it. God doesn't need it. Uh, tithing or giving is not for Him. Uh, he owns everything. Everything belongs to Him. Uh, what it's good for is for us. It shows that we understand where it came from. Uh, it goes to do good works here on earth. It goes to further his kingdom here, doing preaching and teaching and spreading the gospel and uh, helping feed the poor and all that costs money. And so the way that God funds that is he has us give. We're technically giving to him, uh, but he doesn't end up with the dollar bills or the checks or anything. Uh, he doesn't need it. He's got everything he needs already. Uh, it's a practice of us recycling the things he's blessed us with to do his work here on earth. Uh, and certainly physical money is one way of us honoring him and, and doing that. So uh, viewer understands that, I hope, that uh, no, God doesn't physically end up with it. Uh, it's the way that we get his work done here on earth and he knows exactly what we're giving and what we're doing with it and what it's used for and uh, blesses us because of that. So interesting question. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today and that's about old Joseph in the New Testament. Uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, what was his trade? And most people ought to know he was a carpenter. 
Uh, and Jesus carpentered with him for the early part of his life. And hopefully you and your family got that one right. We're glad you've been with us today. We've got some more really good questions coming up next week. And we'll be back to tackle some more of those. Uh, take advantage of that correspondence course if you haven't done that yet today. If something we said today stirred a question in your mind, call it in or put it on the website and we'll get to it as soon as we can. Glad you've been with us. We hope that you come back next week. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.